Everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, 97.5, 1280 of the Zone. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, thank you very much for making us a part of your day. Going to talk to Kurt Cragthorpe coming up here momentarily. How's it going over there, Gordon? We're talking about cars a lot today. We were talking about it off the air, too. Yeah, I don't know why. Just are. How's that? Uh, are we getting a bunch of open mics? I bet we are. I doubt it. A uh, quick piece of news for you. This came across today, uh, Gordon. We found out who BYU is going to be playing in the Maui Gym Maui Invitational. They're going to take on UCLA. Oh, that's nice. A marquee program. And then if they win that game, they're going to get the winner of Kansas and Chaminade. In other words, Kansas. Like Likely Kansas, I'm thinking, yeah. yeah. Remember uh, when Chaminade knocked off Ralph Sampson's team back way back in uh, Maui? I'm sure Kurt would remember that. Good. UVA is the worst. They deserve every loss they get. Virginia Tech in the Maui Invitational, by the way. How about that? Mm-hmm. All right, uh, joining us now, let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. He covers the Utes for the Salt Lake Tribune. He's our good friend, Kurt Crackthorpe. Hi, Kurt. Hi, guys. You ready for Pac-12 Media Day yet, Kurt? It's it's like, uh, what, two weeks from yesterday? I know. It seems like BYU's Media Day was three months ago, so I think we're ready to get the rest of the world cranked up here. Kurt, you've been writing about uh, the Utes uh, football and what to look forward to a little bit over the past little while, and we keep seeing these lofty expectations for this team. Are you uh, buying? Yeah, most of it. I mean, if you just basically start with the premise that they were in a tie ball game late in the third quarter of the Pac-12 championship game last year, uh, it's logical or natural or inevitable to think of that as the baseline for 2019, and and see what unfolds from there. It it'll they're going to lose some games. Uh, they're not, they're not going to be in the college football playoff, but but is the Rose Bowl in play? Yeah, yeah certainly at this point. I saw your story uh, that uh, essentially uh, that uh, the Utes are favored in what ten out of twelve games. Yeah, the, and the, the math is interesting and. This, I have this new toy of mine, the ESPN Football Power Index, is really fascinating because it uh, explores the science of probability. And, and for that specific example, the youths are favored in 10 of the 12 games, but yet the way probability works, that translates to 8.6 wins. So in other words, you literally could be favored in every game, but the, the math says you won't win every game. I, and I, I find that fascinating. If, if I could do my life over, I think I'd be like Ziggy Ansa and major in actuarial science <laughs> and uh, figure out how long people are going to live and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, I, I love the the FPI and but but to the point, a couple of interesting things jumped out at, at me in that. And one is that the BYU game is sixty forty in Utah's favor, so that's certainly not automatic. And it, and one of the games the Utes are underdogs in is the Pac-12 opener at USC. So that that just becomes more of a monumental game all the time. So Kurt, explain since we're on that topic, uh, 
Somebody asked me the other day, they said, how come when uh, precipitation is at, rated at 30% in the forecast that it always rains? Because shouldn't it be 70% that it's going to be not rain, it's going to be sunny? What? That's an excellent point. But, and I, I think to that point, the explanation is it, it doesn't rain all day everywhere you are. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, that does make so, sense. So yeah, but it's it's like everything else in life. It's a, it's like it's like the definition of a local story is something that affects you, right? <laughs> it's, it's, so it's we're all uh, framed by our own, own experience. Who was it that said minor surgery means there's being done on someone else? Exactly. That's that's a perfect example. Wow, I think we can. I'll rest easier after getting to the bottom of that one. Thank you. Thank you there, uh, Gordon. I th- no, I think we just helped our listeners out over sure. there. I mean, sure I'm we glad did. Kurt's on to help us understand these things. Kurt, have uh, have you been able to come to any sort of understanding about uh, what Tyler, I guess, what the offense is going to look like uh, under Andy Ludwig, but more specifically what, what they're going to ask out of Tyler Huntley? Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be interesting. I think uh, a couple things come to mind. One is a lot of rollout passing. I think that uh, you'll see Tyler getting out of the pocket. Andy has talked about how he's the most athletic quarterback he's ever worked with in his career, which covers a lot of ground. I think you'll see fewer designed runs for the quarterback, but I still think that the zone read option has to be part of the running scheme because it's literally an, an extra blocker in essence or a guy, a guy on defense that you don't have to block because you just read him. So I, I don't think that part will be eliminated. But but I, I really do think that uh, Andy Ludwig is in tune with taking advantage of Tyler's athletic ability. So I, I think Tyler will be a, a more polished passer in the pocket. I think that the one thing he has to be conscious of is getting rid of the ball sooner. I thought back to his injury history and – and while all the talk is about Tyler getting down or getting out of bounds or or not absorbing those hits when he runs, his injuries actually have come from within the pocket, notably the broken collarbone at Arizona State last year. So I, I think Tyler does need to get rid of the ball faster, and I, I think Andy will help him do that. But I'll, so much hinges on, maybe not so much for the success of the team, but just for the fulfillment of Tyler's promise if, if you want to or potential if you want to phrase it that way I, is about him staying healthy because I'm pretty convinced that, that if he does play all 13 games he'll have a big year Kurt you had a story on the Utah safeties and um, can you describe the nature of this defense is this going to be a classic defense or will there, have, will there be some variances to it that people may not uh, have seen in the past yeah, I, I think it's pretty much uh, what we've come to expect. It's, it's it, the whole phenomenon of Utah's defense is interesting. I, I think we're all conditioned to just believing that whoever they plug in there is going to be effective. Uh, the, the safeties are an interesting pair, Blackman and Burgess, replacing Blair and Ballard. And the linebackers will be interesting, too, because I, I think in that sense that uh, – Cody Barton and Chase Hansen will, will be more difficult to replace than people may believe because they covered an awful lot of ground and they were they were very smart 
football players as well as being great athletes, and they made so many plays. And, and I know the defense is set up that that they could plug anyone, not okay, not just anyone, but but a capable athlete into those positions, and 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 the tackles would be funneled to them. So, so by nature, you're going to rack up some statistics, but I I think it'll be hard to match what Barton and Hanson did even as good as we expect Manning Bowen to be. But but that's a long way of getting to the strength of the defense, which is up front. It, it, it really should be. If you look at all eight guys who will play in the rotation, it, that really should be the strongest core of, of eight players that, that they've ever had as defensive linemen. And certainly the, maybe the strongest in the, in the Pac-12. Yeah, definitely. Kurt Cragthorpe with us of the Salt Lake Tribune, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Kurt, I fully expect the media to vote uh, Utah number one in the South Division in the preseason poll. Who do you expect to be their stiffest competition for that title in the South this year? Yeah, my default answer to that is always USC. I I grew up in the area where you can kind of discondition to think that USC will win every game. But to see them lose seven games last year was like mind-boggling to me. And in a, in, so based on that frame of reference, I'm all the more expecting them to have a bounce back season. It's just it's just historically physically impossible for USC to be that bad again in my mind. So I, I, that's my answer. I think I voted USC number two in the poll that I just sent in. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how that poll comes out though because. I, I look at all the magazines, and, and including the FPI that, I, that I've been talking about, which actually has UCLA ranked ahead of, of Utah, 20 versus 22. So t- technically, according to ESPN's formula, UCLA is the favorite, and then Utah would be second. So I think it's UCLA will get a lot of second-place votes. I think Arizona State will and maybe even Arizona a little bit as well as USC. So we'll see how that shakes out. But, but yeah, I, I just it's just inevitable to me that, that USC will be a lot better than last year. How do you think the receiving core will shape, out, shape up? I, I'm pretty optimistic about the receivers. Now, the one asterisk will, will be exactly what the state of Britain, Cubby South is coming into uh, the season. He's... He, He's already talked about how there's kind of a gradual plan to work him in and rest him during August as he comes back from that knee surgery. So that's that's the one variable that would be interesting to watch. But one thing I like to do is uh, talk to the players about who, who's been this kind of the stars of the summer, guys who have emerged in the off-season conditioning and workouts. And and the answer to that question last year was Cody Barton, who ended up having a monster year. So it piqued my interest when I asked Blackman and Burgess that question the other day, and, and they pointed to Damari Simpkins as a guy among the receivers who they expect to have a, a big year. So if, if if that's true, if he if he does anything resembling what Cody Barton did last year, that that'll be a good sign for the group. I think Brian Thompson's kind of my sleeper among the receivers. He played just enough last year to uh, keep his year of eligibility, so he was able to register with that new NCAA rule. I think it'll be good. I think the tight ends will be really good. So, it, I guess the long, or the short answer to my 
long description is that, that there's enough talent there that's, that someone really could and should emerge as dependable in addition to Covey. I know people are concerned about the offensive line because it's certainly going to be inexperienced, but how big of how concerned should people be, I guess? Yeah, I, th- I think that definitely is, is the biggest question on offense going into the season, and that it, it kind of has been a question each of the, the last few years, ever since they had that group in 2016, I guess it was, when, where they had four guys who were on opening day NFL rosters to start the next year. So you're looking at 17, 18, 19. It's, it's kind of always been a question about uh, how that group is going to come together. And, and I do think it's it has to be the biggest issue on the offense just because they're literally make, replacing the most starters in that position area. And it, it just, it just uh, sets up everything. I mean, I've talked about the need to protect Hundley better and, and for him to get rid of the ball better, and, and, and that goes hand in hand. And then we, we all expect Zach Moss to have a, a huge year as a running back, but that won't happen unless the offensive line comes together well. So I really think they've got about three solid guys, maybe three and a half, and they need one or two to solidify themselves early in August and, and then develop that cohesion that's such a big part of offensive line play. Kurt, you and Jay Drew uh, combined on an effort to rank the assistant coaches in the state of Utah as far as uh, potentiality to be head coaches. Tell us how that list came together. Yeah, that was interesting. I, I mean, we just kind of started with the list of the coordinators and at the three FBS schools. So that, they gave us six to work with, and then you kind of look at guys who maybe have the personality of being a head coach or like in the case of BYU's Ed Lamb once was an FCS head coach. And so, yeah, it's it's – and the other part, the, the part that's tricky to gauge is it's not every assistant coach really is maniacally driven to become a head coach, particularly as much money as assistants are making now. So I look at a guy like Andy Ludwig. He's got to be considered one of the, the top few assistant coaches in the state. But for purposes of this list, we actually had him at number nine just because I, I don't perceive at this point in his career at age 55 that that he's that obsessed with becoming a head coach. And so it was kind of interesting to kind of sort through the guys and kind of look at their personalities as much as as their abilities in terms of projecting them as a head coach. And, and so when it all came together, Morgan Scally was the clear choice. Uh, he's only 39 years old, but he definitely is positioning himself to kind of, kind of on the same career arc that, Kyle Whittingham followed uh, when he became the head coach at 45. So it really does set up pretty well that, say, Kyle coaches three, four, five more years that, that Morgan really would be ready to move into that job. And and, and maybe in, his, in terms of looking at his career, that seems like a long time from now, but, but he's making so much money now that, that it wouldn't make sense for him to become a FCS coach like Troy Taylor did and and so if he can just kind of be patient and, and wait for his turn in Utah, I, I, I think he'd be the obvious candidate. Kurt, uh, I know you cover the Utes, but obviously as a, you've been a columnist and covered all kinds of different things here in Utah. Curious to uh, get your opinion 
on uh, the rather remarkable offseason the Jazz have had. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, what, what's interesting for me, and, and again, again, looking through life from my own lens, it, it's the first summer that I haven't been involved in uh, in following the Jazz, and and uh, which you have very ably done without me. So <laughs> we've we've had no shortage of good insight and commentary about what the Jazz have done. But but yeah, it's, it's been impressive. It's almost like too good to be true in a way that uh, that if you you, you gave fans a menu in late April after that playoff series lost to Houston and said, okay, here's the boxes you can check of what you would like to see the Jazz have uh, going into next year. And and uh, everybody would have checked better point guard, better shooting, and uh, playoff experience. And, and they've, they've checked all those boxes. So I there's there's absolutely no reason for fans not to be really excited about what this team can do. Kurt, you are the best. Thank you, as always, for jumping on and uh, sharing a little insight. Thanks, Kurt. Okay, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Kurt Cracktorpe. Kurt's been watching uh, Utah sports, uh, sports in the state of Utah for so long. And uh, when he says that uh, something is uh, out of the ordinary in a good way, or a bad way, for that matter, uh, then it's worth listening to. And that, that, but he's exactly right. Wouldn't you agree that this is one of the? Uh, uh, it's just different. What's happened with the Jazz this offseason? I don't think we've ever seen it. The closest it came is when they signed Carlos Boozer, right? Memento Kerr. Yeah, same offseason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, it's it's rather they they should be commended for what they've been able to do, and the uh, the insistence on getting it done. Well, and I think the timing. Uh, I think this is the right time for them to make an aggressive move for a variety of reasons that we've explored on this show uh, yeah. thoroughly. Uh, but certainly while you've got Rudy and Donovan at a, you know, at a bargain price, jump in and use some of that payroll and, and add the pieces that you think could, could get the job done. And the the time really appears to be right for the Utah Jazz. And it, we talked about it yesterday, as Dennis Lindsay said, and a lot of that has to do with Donovan Mitchell basically being ahead of schedule, that he's, yeah. that he's mature enough now that they feel like they could, you know, that – that he could lead this team if it's fit right together to uh, to places where where they want to go. It's weird that he's only twenty two. It's amazing he's only twenty two. Remember how long he didn't turn twenty three until September, I believe his birthday is. And not only that, but Jake, what you talked about earlier about wanting free agents to to, uh, to 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 accept the greater amount of money that a smaller market team can pay its own players, that that is uh, to be encouraged. But in the case of the Jazz, one of the ways to keep those guys is to keep them happy with doing everything you can to make your team as competitive as you can make it. And that's another box the Jazz have checked. Right. And it's not easy, by the way. That's where all the... You know, top to bottom, good leadership in the Jazz franchise. Uh, you know, look at how many other franchises out there, Gordon, that are just fledgling, fledg- mm-hmm. 
what word am I going for there? Oh, I'm not quite sure. Well, Let's just keep floundering. Floundering. There, there's you know the F word. The, the, the floundering. One of those F words. But I, I mean, look at uh, look at the Charlotte Hornets for example. Is they tried so hard to put a team around Kemba Walker for years, and they just made bad signing and bad draft pick after bad draft pick, including not taking Donovan Mitchell when they could. Including not taking Donovan Mitchell, and it wasn't for lack of effort. The Hornets were really trying to put a good team together. They're just dumb. Yeah. They just made bad moves and they paid guys the wrong money and and look look how long Orlando's been bad since the Dwight Howard years. I mean, look at look at some of these franchises. The I mean, the Wizards somehow get uh two stars and and not superstars, but stars in John Wall and Bradley Beal and they can barely make it out of the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs for years, for years. I mean, it's amazing how many Steve Steve Smith once jumped on with Tony and me a few years ago, and I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but he was like, "There are a lot of dumb GMs out there," hmm. and you look at some of these moves these franchises making, you just go, "Wow, it's no one." I mean, the Knicks are probably the best example. It's no wonder you're constantly rebuilding and never putting it together. You know, you're just run terribly by people who aren't very smart. And it's not easy to put the thing together because you do have to worry about timing and fit mm-hmm. and personalities and all those sorts of things. There's so many moving parts, and you have to kind of get your ducks in a row before you, you strike. And the Jazz feel, obviously, that now is that the timing is right and they have the the resources to really go for it. And and it's going to be a really fun season as a result. Have you ever gone back and wondered what, where the Jazz would be right now had they not taken Donovan Mitchell? I wonder. <laughs> they wouldn't be in the playoffs. I wonder what they would have done. They would have had Rudy. They would have had Rudy. But, I mean, even with Donovan coming uh, along see, the way yeah, he has. they that offense have been? Oh, man. They, that was when, honestly, uh, that was my first reaction when Gordon Hayward left, is how on earth are they going to score the basketball? Because mm-hmm. they just didn't have the personnel really to do it. And that's why, honestly, that's why Donovan Mitchell was – basically handed the ball from the day he got here and said, please, we need you. Go and out remember, there and score. he revealed himself as having that kind of potential during summer league. Yep. Remember, we all saw it, and we went, wow. Yeah, okay, is this just a kid playing in summer league? He, he started maybe a little slow, but then he came on strong and showed what he could do. And a lot of people are predicting that he'll have an even better season his third year than he did in the first and second. And I, I, I might be one of them. I, I, I wouldn't doubt that for a second. I would expect him to be better. Yeah, because yeah. he's going to have he's going to have cleaner looks. He's going to have uh, more opportunities to, to have efficient attempts. And in the past, it was kind of like at times you hand the ball to Donovan. Good luck. I mean, there were obviously the Jazz ran Quinn's offense and there were guys who were who are getting open looks, but uh, not always making those shots. And so oftentimes it fell into the lap of Donovan to do something, anything. You know what I think is a big deal, Gordon? That he's healthy this offseason. He gets to work on his game. Yeah. I think that was more of an issue than people realized last, last year. year yeah. With his foot issues, he went into the offseason with the instruction to get himself healthy this year. And he talked about this at, at Locker Queen out. This year it's go get yourself better. Mm-hmm. And make your game better, and I I'm excited to see what a difference that makes. I wonder what he's working on. Mm-hmm. I bet it's recognition. Uh, if you can do that in pickup games, I 
He's uh, he, that's what I think. He, remember, we, we asked him that question before last season started. Yep. What did he say? He said that, didn't he? he? Said reading defenses and what was the other thing? Becoming more efficient. I'm trying to remember exactly those. I think those were the two. Reading defenses was definitely one of them. Yeah. I I think he. I mean, just for example, he can get himself a little stronger. Maybe go to the line a little bit more next year, yeah. especially if he's playing a one-on-one. That's more. a great point. He can do that. If he if he chooses to, you would think so, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially if he has more driving lanes uh, open to him. I mean, we should see Donovan Mitchell and ones all year long. And then teams, yeah, teams will be forced to foul him. Yep. All right. We'll have more coming up next. Uh, it is the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott. Big thanks to uh, Kirk Cragthorpe uh, for jumping on with us. We want to remind you about our friends at Ivory Homes, Utah's number one home builder. Ivory Homes brings experience, quality, and design to every home and community they build. Learn more at ivoryhomes.com. Stay tuned. More straight ahead, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is DJ and PK. Michael Smith, jazz analyst for AT&T Sportsnet. Here's the part I'm excited about. Last year, Joe Ingles was your second or maybe third best player on a given night. Gobert is reliable on one end, but not so much on the other, but much improved in getting better. And now, with the addition of Connolly, the emergence of Donovan, another honor for Gobert will only fuel his confidence and his ability to work. Now you add Bogdanovich, and I'm not even counting Jeff Green, but Joe Ingles is now your fifth best player. If Joe Ingles is your second or third best player, you can't win a championship. But if he's your fifth best player, you got a chance to beat anybody in any series. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 till 10. Presented by WCF Insurance. Reminding you to be careful out there. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The Miller family and uh, their investment, uh, our community support in Salt Lake City and the, and the state. Uh, we want to put the most competitive team out there that we can, controlling the things that we can control, adding the right character, the right talent, uh, having a great coach who can put all of this together. We embrace the expectations um, because we're trying to field the most competitive team that we can in pursuit for a championship. We've got a lot of work to do. We've got to have the team gel and spend time with each other and do that. And we have, we have time to do that so again we'll embrace everything because we're here to compete Justin Zanuck right there 97.5 1280 The Zone Gordon Monson Jake Scott want to remind you to join Hanson Scotty uh, coming up Wednesday, July 17th, noon to 3, is our friend Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic will be live in studio. He'll discuss an FDA-approved breakthrough and permanent solution for ED with no pills, surgery, or needles. Uh, Gordon, you heard Justin Zanuck talking about acquisitions there. Um, one of those acquisitions, Bojan Bogdanovich, uh, spoke to a, uh, let's see here, the Indianapolis Star uh, to uh, let's see here, and uh, had some quotes about why he left Indiana, and this is um, these are somewhat similar to some stuff he said at his press conference. But nonetheless, from it's always interesting to look at it from that angle, right? Yep. What uh, do you say? A couple of things he said here. Quote: uh, I really treated Indiana like my home. Uh, I spent a great two years uh, over there. I played my best basketball there. I was with Indiana always. Then the Jazz with the roster was big for me. Um, 
let's see. He went on to say a couple of other things. Uh, he was asked if Victor Oladipo's injury played a role. He said it played a role, but not much. He goes on. He says, Victor is a great competitor. I think he'll be back earlier than everyone expects. Seeing what uh, we have, Conley, Donovan Mitchell, and Rudy Gobert, that's the best defensive player in the league. That was huge for me to decide. And he was asked if it was a close decision. He said, it was close. Indiana really treated me well. The organization, the GM, the president were pretty cool with me. We had a great team. I really wanted to stay there. But when I see the, uh, see the offer from the Jazz, and then I saw the roster and the opportunity that I would have here, it was big time for me. That's the reason I left, unquote. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a compliment to the Jazz and the team they're building. And success uh, perpetuates success. Well, I I think it it shows how smart Bojan is that he can be savvy about the opportunities that uh, that he goes. I mean, the, I first of all, I think it's very appropriate to talk about a former team. I mean, to complimentary, it was close. Here's the deciding factor. I mean, it was it was really straightforward. But I think it says a lot about him uh, that. And I know we love loyalty, but he could have shown loyalty or he could have put himself into the best professional situation. Yeah. And that there's some savviness to that. I yeah, think. there is. And that uh, you talked earlier about how money should motivate players, uh, but uh, these situational things motivate them as well. And uh, th- this is uh, this is how I, in my mind's eye, saw this happen. Okay. So this isn't based on any conversation I've had with anybody or anything. But I could see Quinn Snyder getting on the phone with uh, Bogdanovich and having a conversation with him and by the and making it clear not just what the Jazz assets are, but how he plans on utilizing them, Bogdanovich included. And picture that. Bogdanovich on the other end of the phone talking one-on-one to Quinn. And with his knowledge, his ability to lay out in very articulate terms how he's going to do it, the opportunity that Boyan's going to have, and by the end of that conversation, Boyan hangs up and goes, I think I'm going to do that. That's how that happened. Now, I don't know it for a fact, but that's how I see it happening. And... I, I don't blame him because those comments right there tell you that he was well informed about the Jazz roster and about how he was going to be utilized. Which I think I'm sure he did have conversations uh, specifically, but I mean I think it's pretty obvious, don't you? I mean the Jazz needs somebody who can come in and shoot the ball, and you know by watching the Jazz over the past couple of years that if they had somebody that can make them, they're going to be open because the Jazz are really good at creating open shots. <laughs> and that was part of the pitch. I am absolutely certain. But we talk about players recruiting other players, and a lot of focus is on Donovan Mitchell, and I get that, and it should be. But I th- I find this really interesting that this is the second free agent that I've heard really put an emphasis on playing with Rudy being a big reason that he came. Now, Bojan uh, mentioned Mike Conley, Donovan, and Rudy, but he did have an aside with Rudy, the best defensive player in the league. Uh I think Joe Johnson said the same thing. It takes pressure off of him to have to, uh, you know, handle those responsibilities as well. It certainly does. I'm surprised uh, James Harden doesn't want to come play here. It's one of the reasons I I was surprised when Gordon Hayward uh, left. Not surprised, like blindsided surprised, but surprised he didn't want to stay with Rudy. You know, here's another star player that you can play with that does not detract from what you do 
in the slightest. Rudy's not going to take anything away from Bojan. All he's going to do is add to what Bojan does by commanding attention and then playing defense and, mm-hmm. and having his back. Right. You know, I playing defense isn't fun. And you look bad when you're not very good at it. And so isn't it nice to have somebody behind you who will uh, clean up the mess a little bit? And I think Bogdanovich can play some defense, but it's certainly nice to – it's like a security blanket to know the big fellow's back there. And it allows you to play more aggressively on defense and yeah. all sorts of yeah. stuff. Ask John Stockton and his steals record about that. Oh, have great a big point. mark back there. Great point. allows you to gamble. and make it, Basically, it makes you look good. And so – I. I thought that that stood out to me a little bit. Rudy, Rudy's been a, a factor in attracting a couple players here now because of of the unselfishness in the way he plays. Meaning that if you're a, a big time defensive player, you're kind of unselfish by nature because it's not like we talked about yesterday. That's not what makes headlines, and that's not necessarily what gets everybody paid. Yeah, and that's his specialty is to to be that guy who cleans up everybody's mess and who plays defense and is dominating and I found that interesting but the fact that his biggest motivating factor was the roster that he wanted to go to the Jazz because of their roster and because of his fit so you can talk about the money you can talk about the facilities and the upgrades in that regard by the way did you see when Mike Conley uh, had that video that he was walking through the jazz practice facility there, the basketball campus. I did see that, yeah. And he walked through the lounge there, and it had the fireplace, the fire pit, whatever that thing is there. It made me think of you, Jake, when you noticed. uh, That they had a campfire in the (laughs) facility for some reason? Remember I asked Dennis about that. (laughs) But, But it wasn't those things. It wasn't the money. It wasn't the facility. It was the roster. And you got to sell all parts of it, and you know. I mean, I'm sure that everything contributes, snowballs into a powerful pitch. But uh, yeah, it was uh, the guys that uh, he wanted to play next to, and I think it's the role that he was presented. He's going to make a ton of open shots this next season. How much trouble do you think I'd get in if I went over there to the practice facility with uh, one of those skewers with a hot dog on the end? Hot dog, or maybe you could make toss some baked beans some in there. Something. Yeah, right. You think baked beans? Where you, what do they call those things when you wrap them in aluminum foil? It's oh, the, uh, the Dutch oven. Oh no, no, no. That's a Dutch oven is a big, uh, a big pot kind of thing. No, you're thinking of like a cowboy dinner. What, what, or what, what's what, a Boy the, Scout dinners what's or whatever. What's it called when you put like you put your your potatoes and your vegetables in the aluminum foil and stick it down on yeah, the fire? Yeah, I've always heard that called like a uh, Boy Scout dinner. Oh. What's what's a Dutch oven again? It's it's a big like pot that you bury. You bury it? Yeah, you bury it. You put coals down in a hole and you bury it. You need to well, have you a, can do that with a Dutch oven. You can do that over at the uh, the open pit. I don't think I'd see. I don't think I I could dig a hole, put coals in it, and bury it. <laughs> You know who you need to have a conversation about Dutch oven cooking with is uh, our boy Scotty G. Yeah, I bet I bet he he's, can work uh, himself up some nice vittles. Oh, he's a he's a magician with that Dutch oven. Well, if I see him over there at the jazz practice facility, over there at the lounge, with uh, with all the fixings, what I've been able to put all that together, and we'll know he's. Uh, is it that big thing that has? It, it, I saw it in the video. Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, it's a. It, well, what it's other not really fire? A campfire? Is it? Well, from where I was looking, you know, I'm way across the court. All I see is the the, the room over there is on fire. <laughs> I didn't get many details. 
You just looked over there and said, man, they got There's a campfire going. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's nice. Were the players all around uh, with, uh-uh. their, with their shoes off, you know, heating their toes with a, with a campfire? No, I, uh, I don't. There, there were a couple people over there. there. There were marshmallows, a couple... anything in there with graham crackers no and Hershey bars? No, no marshmallows. No. All right. I wonder if you come out of there if you're smelling like campfire, you know? You've sat around the campfire and then you smell like it for the next week. I guess they're not using wood. They're probably using gas. It'd be a lot cooler if they used wood, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think they they probably could have done that. Just not on red burn days, of course. Right. Coming up next, the Not Sports Report. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is Tony Parks and Austin Horton. Some guy in a bagel shop just decides he's got an axe to grind with a lot of the people. Why is it okay for women to say, oh, you're five feet on dating sites? That's okay? Having been in a similar plight height-wise as this. What are you talking about height-wise? Tony is about like five, one, five, two. Okay, that is not true. I was once turned down for a school dance, though. Uh, a girl said yes, and then later on said no. And I said, oh, okay, well, kind of bizarre and she's like no just you're too short people were all mad about it and i was like i'm so glad she was honest about that i really was because then we were gonna go on this date and it was gonna suck disappointing that uh that was the reason but i'm glad it didn't work tony parks and austin horton weekdays from 10 to noon on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network oh hey guys Check this out. And now, your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Somebody truck in a farmer's field, a no trespass sign. Time to kill. Nobody's gonna get hurt. So what's the big deal? Somebody truck in a farmer's field. And somebody beer. Big show, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. It's time for the Not Sports Report. Brought to you by the LHM Used Cars Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles and inventory. Shop online. LHMUsedCars.com. Gordon. Where are we going today? We're going all over the place. I have three items here. Oh, boy. For the price of one. Okay. All right. Three items. Three things I just don't get. What's the deal with... We were teasing Gordon about being Jerry Seinfeld earlier. A nine-year-old from Nebraska reportedly stole two cars in three days. Wow. A nine-year-old. Smart kid. I mean, I, I, I don't understand that. A Canadian father was arrested when, instead of putting his two-year-old child in a child seat in the car, he set the child on top of a of a of a uh, like a, a six-pack. What was it like? A what do you call? What's bigger than a six-pack? A twelve-pack or a case? Like a case of beer. Okay. Uh, it, it was uh, some number of cans of beer in a package, put it on the seat, put the kid on top of the pack, the package of beer cans, and strapped him in. Well, you know, Gordon, if they're sitting too low, the airbags could really be dangerous. And then, explain this one to me, Jake. This is what I, have you seen this thing that's gone viral with uh, 
people, I, I guess, uh, I don't know if it's girls or whatever, who are licking things and then putting them back. No. Like ice oh, yeah. cream. Yeah, the, 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 the gal that licked the ice cream at Walmart who's yeah. going to jail for it. For licking an ice cream? Another kid uh, drinking the, the drink out of the aisle at the grocery like taking a swig of the iced tea and then putting it back yeah. and spitting in it. Yeah. Have you seen this? No. Well, a girl in Florida, she was in the doctor's office, and you know how oftentimes in doctor's office they'll have tongue depressors, and it's in a container, and it says... Please do not touch uh-huh. for sanitary reasons, whatever. She was videoed taking the tongue depressors out, licking them, and putting them back in. How was she videoed? Uh, somebody was videoing because they were they were going to put it on Snapchat. Yeah. Trying to go viral. Friends. Oh, I see. There, and but, but, literally she went viral. See what I did yeah. there? But, the, but the, <laughs> this was not the case of like – because I, I don't want – in my doctor's office, I don't want a, some camera there filming everything Oh, a going surveillance on. Yeah, camera? Yeah, yeah, right. no, 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 it wasn't that. No. Although have you ever wondered whether anyone's watching you in there when you're waiting? I will now. I hope not. That's yeah, a Seinfeld bit, by the way, licking the tongue depressors, putting them back. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 I mean, why would you do that? What what goes through your mind to think, you know, that would be really funny if I licked all the tongue depressors. I mean, what's the deal with people licking stuff? I don't know, Gordon. You know, there are a lot of dumb people in this world. Why do they do most of the stuff they do? I don't know. See, these people and the eating the Tide Pod people ought to just get together and have their own island. Agreed. Just a colony. Right. Yeah, but in this case, it's hurting other people, or at least potentially doing that. So I'm saying, I mean, let's what are you move doing in out. the doctor's office in the first place? Are you sick? Do you have a cold or something? And you're licking the tongue depressors and putting it back in? What's the deal with the uh, bottle cap challenge? Oh, I think that's for charity, isn't it? You, Is it? you do the bottle cap challenge, I, and then you challenge someone else, and you I donate. Don't know. And, I've I seen know. those videos, but I have not uh, really paid attention to the movement, so to speak. Didn't well, Mariah Carey do it with her yeah, voice or she something? Yeah, with her voice, and uh, it, it, one of the one of the Jenner girls knocked one off with her with her foot on a uh, watercraft. I don't know. Patrick Renna, who plays a ham in Sandlot, did one with a baseball bat. Oh, nice. Knocked it off with the baseball. Now he's not the the he's not the same guy who was the fat goalie who had drug problems, right? No, 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 no. no, no. no. Come on, what? He sat in this That's very Chris chair something. right here. Nice guy, Ham, Patrick. Um, nice guy. Gordon doesn't know. His. Nice guy, Ham. That's that was his name. That was his in character. the movie. Yeah. What's his real name? Patrick Renna. Patrick Renna. So here's my public service announcement. Do not be going around licking things in public and putting them back. <laughs> Does that, is this really something that requires a public service announcement? Yes! Shouldn't you just already know? It's happening. <laughs> you got a big old tongue on that thing? Slobbering all over it? Putting it back? Oh, boy. Yeah. What a time! Yeah. What a time to be alive, huh, Austin? Nah. Do that in private, but not in public. I mean, just don't do that. Well, all right. Well, uh, coming up right around the corner, we've got an action-packed 5 o'clock hour for you. We'll talk more NBA. Also, uh, an old, familiar name is bringing up uh, BYU and the AAC again. We'll get to that coming up straight ahead. I got a question I need answers to, too. Is it involve trucks? No. How are we doing on the truck? Are we getting a lot of – we've probably been swamped with uh, open mics.
Yeah. All none of them. It's like, I think Austin is just not cooperating. Well, why don't you? We had all that enthusiasm. The phone lines were absolutely banked with truck owners, truck drivers, people that love their truck. There's probably some of those out there, yeah. Truck, what's yeah. Your, what's your point? <laughs> Stay tuned. More of, uh, more of... <laughs> some of them are bedazzled and bejeweled. More of something coming up next, I some tell you. Some just got mud on them. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Don't be licking <laughs>